1: Enjoy your stay. I just know they got that bubble I'm glad
2: you got the bubble bumps down. Yeah. Well, if you didn't know, that was <laughs> Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek.
1: I like how you're holding the
2: comments. Well, I'm sure there's someone out there, if you're watching The Command Zone, can, can see what it is. But hey, how's it going, everybody? You're watching slash listening to The Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's
1: it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Uh-huh. And yep. we saved the Star Trek re- reference for when uh, the professor is not on the show.
2: Oh, that's true. I keep He's such forgetting. a huge
1: Star Trek guy. Which I can't done believe
2: that. he's never seen Star Wars. <laughs> I can understand if you haven't seen the new ones, actually, because I don't really care for them. But... The Empire Strikes Back, one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Well, so is the original Star Wars. I wouldn't put Jedi in there, though. No. Jedi was, I can't wait to see the third movie in this trilogy. I know you can't say anything about it, but if there's anything resembling an Ewok or a cash grab for a toy, I'm going to be so happy because it's just, from what I can tell, the exact same three are going to follow the same pair as the original because I have a lot of faith in Ryan Johnson. All right. Before we move into the show, let's talk about our sponsors. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That is the affiliate link that you should use next time you're going to buy some cards online or products or play mats or anything really because they have extremely fast shipping. We always get tweets about how fast they deliver to many parts of the world. So
1: make sure you check out cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. In fact, you should be uh, pre-ordering that Iconic Masters stuff right now.
2: Yeah, I will say
1: I finally got to play it a little bit. I mean, I think we could say that. You know, we had uh, the professor sweet. on the last episode, and we have a mystery guest. And if you pay attention on Twitter, you already know who the mystery guest is. Uh, yeah, and we're going to be playing some some interesting uh, Iconic Masters. It's kind of a made-up format. Yeah, and I will say this in advance. It was one of the most interesting games of Magic I have ever played. It was, it was a great game. It was a great game. It was so a great game, yeah. The next Game Nights is awesome. Um, one of our other sponsors is Ultra Pro. You know, the Eclipse sleeves, every time we hand them to people, and our mystery yes from the next game nights was no different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just ooh and ah. Uh, eclipse sleeves are just the best there is. And I'm very happy right now that all my Commander decks are in Eclipse sleeves. 100% of them. All of them. Yeah. And they're, they're actually
2: pretty high demand. So they, they come in stock and they sell right out. So keep your eye out, especially if you're using our affiliate link to get them from the with sites. And Finally. The last way that you can support the show, and the one that's the truest and dearest to my heart, no hate to the other sponsors, I love them all, but it's Patreon. Patreon.com slash Command Zone. These are the people that are directly supporting the show. Uh, This is essentially what keeps us able to do this every single week without, you know, Josh gave up his job to do the Command Zone and Game Nights full-time, and that's why he's here. And we do a special thing. We call out the patrons every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to
1: Israel Solace. 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 That's a cool name. That is a very cool name. That's a real cool name. Now, that's a superhero name for sure. That is a superhero name. Pretty sure Israel is a superhero. All right, so let's go into our main topic today. You know, one of the things we sort of have been realizing is that we talk about deck building a lot. In fact, we probably talk about deck building if it was a percentage on the show. It's probably like 70% of the show, <laughs> right? Right, well, it's like deck doctors, deck tax deck anything. Or yeah, whatever. and mana-based episodes and your mana curve considerations and deck building templates. That's all deck building-based stuff. Now, the part of the game that sort of gets a short shrift is gameplay mm-hmm. and gameplay decisions. Now, it's not that we've never talked about that stuff. We do politics episodes and stuff, but it's definitely the side of the game that I think gets sort of the least talked about, and all, even if you play standard or modern or, you know, I think actually playing the game and making decisions in the game is just something that, for whatever reason, I think it's because it's harder to talk about. Yeah, it's more, it's it's hard without having concrete references. Yeah, exactly, and we don't all have the same experiences of in-game, and it's hard if you're going to talk about decisions, you have to set up so many little things that it it can be really tough to talk about, so... Anyway, that was something that we were noticing, and we wanted to do an episode where we talked about in-game decisions and kind of threat assessment and how we sort of walk through the decisions we make and why we make them, you know, in a given game, and and what factors can sort of contribute to those decisions or alter or change them. Um, and one of the great things is because we've been doing game nights, uh huh, we ha- do have a shared experience now, right? And yeah. especially for Commander, there hasn't been a lot of this. Um, but we know a lot. Most of our audience watches game nights. If you don't, you can listen along. We're still gonna sort of lay out, you know, what happens. what the board state looks like and things like that, and get everybody up to speed. But if you have watched it or if you have the time to go watch it, uh, it might be worth it before we go into this discussion, just so you have, you know, the right context for everything that we're talking about. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through some some situations in game nights, and these are situations that you know we picked out because they got some mentions in the comments or by people as things that were, maybe people were saying, that's a decision I think you maybe should have done this instead of this. And and, um, so it's really interesting, again, because we do have a great big shared experience to sort of delve into some of these decisions and see if, you know, some of them are Jimmy's decisions, some are mine, some are other players we've had on the show. This is not to criticize anybody because in the moment we all sort of make decisions based on a lot of factors and you know one of these in here is mine and I'm pretty sure I, I did not play it right
2: yeah actually there's one that I a lot of people talked about one here that I also did that maybe I didn't play right given what happened later on but you know it's really interesting because this is definitely the place where I make the most mistakes every time is in the moment you're filming you have a lot going
1: on in your head and you're going
2: I'm oh, I'm gonna do this
1: Yeah, or yeah, that's a really good point where you're like thinking, thinking, thinking. You're not sure and you just have to eventually make a decision and looking back on it, you know, it's a lot easier to see like, oh, maybe I should have done this or that. And Well, especially when you know how the game turned out. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And I think that's something to keep in mind is we're only going to set up sort of what happened in the game prior to the moment the decision is made because what happened... After is not as important because hindsight isn't super helpful because you're not going to have that the next time you go to make a decision. Yep. Um, but I do think this is a very important topic as far as just discussing more gameplay decisions uh, because honestly, you probably spend more time playing than you do deck building, you know, over the course of your magical career. Right. Yeah. Because
2: games do take a long time and they are much easier to play two games than build two decks.
1: All right. So let's go into it. We're going to start with Game Nights, episode six. This was the new Amonkhet Legendary uh, Creatures episode. So the guests on that show were Mel Lee and Cassius Marsh. Uh, I was playing the Hapatra deck. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, you were playing the Neheb deck. That's the um, the Rakdos Neheb, not the Mono yeah. Red Neheb. Um, Mel was playing Temet, and Cassius was playing Semut. So It was actually Naya because he has, she has white in her activation cost. A lot of people ask that question as well. Yeah, a lot of people were like, why can he have, you know... Wall of Omens. Yeah, because uh, your color identity is also tied to anything in your rules text. True. Not your reminders text. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, um, so I'm going to lay out the situation here. Basically, this is boiling down to Cassius's decision when he casts a turn three Ugin. So some notable things sort of to keep in mind here. Cassius is the last player to act. He actually, uh, Mel's turn was first, then mine, then Jimmy's, then Cassius's. So it's mm-hmm. his turn three, but the next turn is going to be Mel's turn four. Cash has on the board right now a soul ring, a grim monolith, a wall of omens, and the Ugin that he just cast off of all that stuff. Turn three Ugin, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Mel has a soul ring, a smuggler's copter, a propaganda, and Temet. Um I have again I'm playing Hypatra I have Hypatra, two death touch snake tokens, a wickerbo elder which is a creature that comes into battlefield, gets a negative 1 counter and then you can pay a green to remove the negative 1 counter and destroy an artifact. And I also have Gaia's cradle. So four creatures guy's cradle. And Jimmy has a sensei sensei's divining top. Sick. Um so and an ancient tomb I believe. So that yeah, and an ancient tomb. <laughs> that's that's your uh, go-to move on game nights. You get an ancient yeah, tomb out okay, like an half ancient the time. Tomb and then that's about it. All right. <laughs> um, so some notable. St- so that's the board state. Um, some notable stuff that's happened so far in this game. Uh, Mel has attacked me one time with the smuggler's copter and looted. I attacked Jimmy once with Hypatia and then I put a negative one counter on Temet. So Temet's out, but he's a one-one right now. Mm-hmm. Jimmy has missed a land drop, which is hardly notable for a game nights episode. Yep, Yeah. So, Cash plays the turn three Ugin, and he has some choices here. Um yeah, really interesting choices. Yeah, really interesting choices. So, if you don't know, Ugin has, comes in with seven loyalty, has a plus two ability, which will lightning bolt something, basically. Mm-hmm. He has a minus ability, and however much you minus, he exiles all colored permanents that are that CMC or less. It's absurdly powerful. Absurdly comes powerful. In at seven. So loyalty. Yeah, and we won't worry about the ultimate because it's not something Cash can do. He didn't have doubling season before Ugin came out. So here's Cash's choices. He can minus Ugin uh, for four is pretty much the number because if he minuses for four, that'll bring Ugin down to three loyalty, mm-hmm. and it will kill his own Wall of Omens, but it'll get the propaganda from Mel. Mel's temet, the Wicker Bo Elder, Hapatra, and both the snakes. Now what he really wants to get rid of here is the Wicker Bo Elder because the Wicker Bo can start shooting down artifacts on my next turn. So I played it, but I tapped out to play it. So mm-hmm. currently I'm tapped out. It costs a green to activate. And you have to understand that I can probably activate it twice because I can attack with Hapatra, put a counter. negative one counter onto the Wicker Bo Elder, and do that again because it will now have two counters and sort of keep doing it. On the following turn, the following turn. And, of course, I'm in a deck that creates a lot of negative one counters. He's not sure at that moment whether I can just dump with another card in my hand more negative one counters on the Wicker Bow and maybe possibly just shoot down all the artifacts on the table that aren't um, mine. That's what he's worried about. He can also choose to plus Ugin, which will bring Ugin up to nine loyalty, and just lightning lightning bolt the Wicker Bow Elder because it has three toughness and just take care of it. Um, He could also, I should say, Lightning Bolt, Temet, or Hapatra. Or one of the snakes. You would never do the snakes. Hapatra is kind of probably the next, I would assume, on his threat assessment. I think Hapatra would be first, and then Temet. The the big thing, of course, is he can't do it to the Smuggler's Copter. Correct. And the Smuggler's Copter, and that's a really good point, right? Because I think the Smuggler's Copter really affects this decision. Yeah, it changes. Actually, that was the key changing point of why he did what
2: he did, is the Smuggler's Copter.
1: Right, because if you, if you figure the no-brainer here is to negative four. Mm-hmm. That brings Ugin down to three loyalty. That gets rid of, like I said, the Wall of Omens, Propaganda, Temet, Wickerbill Elder, H- Hapatra, and both snakes. But that puts Ugin at three loyalty, which means that Mel can play any creature, crew the smuggler's copter. Replay Hapatra. Out of replay a- Or out of the command zone. Yep, replay Hapatra. Oh, no, sorry, Hapatra. Replay Temet. Uh, yeah, sorry, replay Temet. Mel can replay Temet, screw the smuggler's copter. It's a 3 3 flyer, swing in and finish off Ugin for free. Mm-hmm. Um and he knows for sure she can do it. Because either way, Temet's either gonna be in a graveyard in the command zone, both will be castable by Mel, who has a soul ring and plenty of mana to pay the commander tax or embalm at this point. So basically, if he negative fours, gets a bunch of cards, but guaranteed Ugin dies. Now if he mine or if he pluses. That's going to bring Ugin up to nine loyalty. Still has the Wall of Omens out. Mm -hmm. And with Ugin at nine loyalty, it's difficult on the board right now to see how Ugin's going to die. Yeah. Also,
2: because Mel already attacked Josh with the smuggler's copter, maybe she will not attack him. There's a lot of things going on. Obviously, Ugin is the biggest threat when it lands, but I remember talking about all of these things when it actually happened.
1: Yeah, and I think... I think it's safe to assume Mel's going to smack Ugin Mm -hmm. with the Smuggler's Copter. But if he's at 9 loyalty, that's going to bring it down to 6. Yeah. Well, then it comes to my turn. I have Hapatra and 2 snakes. Even though I swing everything in, block Hapatra with the uh, Wall of Omens. You still have Ugin at, what is that? 2 more Uh, damage. Yeah, 4 loyalty. Yeah. Which means you can now Lightning Bolt again. Jimmy has no board presence at all. Mm -hmm. No way to smack Ugin unless he has haste. And even if he does, you still have Wall of Omens to probably block whatever Jimmy right. does. Because Apatra doesn't have death touch necessarily, and he's the one that
2: she's going to block. So Cash has walked through all of this during the game to try and figure out, okay, what should I do with this Ugin
1: here? He actually slam dunked to Ugin and then went, wait, now what do I do? Yeah. So and it was he, a tough decision. Yeah, and, and it was very interesting. And so a lot of people were like, wow, why did he not minus? Because what ended up happening is that he did plus, did shoot down the wicker Bolt elder, Mel did attack Ugin, with the smuggler's copter bringing Ugin down to six loyalty, but mm-hmm. then I had Maelstrom Pulse, and I was able to just destroy Ugin with, straight off the board. Straight off the board. Yeah. Now Ugin being a planeswalker, it's also a lot harder. There's a lot shorter list of cards that are gonna that just get rid of it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's so not like Swords of Plowshares. not gonna do Path it. Path to Exile. There's nobody playing uh, Black White, so Vindicate, Utter End, Anguish Unmaking Making are not on the table as a as a card that's going to you know come out. So there's. There's really not a lot in that circumstance that's commonly played in Commander anyway that's just going to kill your Ugin. And I do think Cassius made the right decision here to... It was a gamble, but the the upside was very large. I get rid of the thing that I really want to worry about, and then I untap and I still have Ugin. Yeah. And at that point, I really have a, a very commanding lead on the table because now I'm able to just pick off everything I want. And or, he still has a
2: soul Ring and a bunch of mana left and can really deploy a lot of
1: threats at that point. So... But I can see the argument for if you minus there, you're guaranteed to get value. It's not the maximum value you could get. But worst case scenario, Mel swings in, with Smuggler's Copter, finishes off Ugin, but you've gotten like a five for one. Yeah, you have a ton of stuff.
0: And
2: here's and the, the thing, if you're making Mel spend her entire turn just to crew and do that again, then even if you do lose, lose the Ugin, you're kind of putting Mel behind the whole turn because she has to sort of replay everything. She has
1: to play a creature, has to crew it. Yeah. Then she'll kill Ugin. You got rid of not just, you know, the Wickerball Elder, which you want to get rid of, but my entire board, and I have Gaia's Cradle out. Yeah. So that sets me back a lot. Um... Also, and because Mel has propaganda
2: out, that's most effective against you. So yeah. that, that also helps out in terms of, oh, now Josh can go at Mel if he decides to. It's not so much Josh can just choose between you know me or Cassius. Right,
1: instead of one of two, you're one of three people that might get yeah. attacked. So it's really interesting, and I don't know, what would you have done in that situation? I probably would have minused uh, just because I can't
2: forsake a five-for-one. Just I mean, I think the guy's cradle is what tips it in that favor yeah. the most. Just because, obviously, you went off. I think not that next turn, but later in that game, like it really helped out a lot to have a board state already there.
1: Yeah. I think based upon my perspective in that game, if I were cash, I would have minus because that's what, you know, I was sitting there thinking was don't minus, don't minus, don't minus, don't minus. If other players are saying don't minus, it's probably going to be. Yeah. When he plused, I was like, whew. Yeah, you know, like okay, that's fine. It's not the worst thing that happened. Well, here's the thing with the. But minus, I knew I had Maelstrom Pulse in my hand with too. With the minus, he still gets his original goal, which is getting
2: rid of the Wickerbow Elder. Correct. And if Cassius's deck, I mean, maybe this was just a, a thing of Cassius not having a very powerful hand at the time. For instance, if Ugin was the best card for him on the table and that he played from his hand, then I could see, okay, yeah, maybe I'll play so I can keep this around and and draw out, draw down, play a longer game. But it's multiplayer. There's a lot that can happen. And you're playing with three three people that have hand well two because I couldn't really do that much so
1: yeah it's one of the reasons I think planeswalkers are um, a little bit tough to play in in multiplayers because you know you know you play it and all of a sudden every eye is going to turn yeah. towards you and try and get that thing off the table when
2: I play a planeswalker I just kind of assume it's not going to make it past I one have to round, yeah I'm unless I have as, a great board state I
1: want to get as much value right now yeah because there's a whole lot of things you know that I can't see that can occur people are going to pull out cards they might be saving Mm -hmm. to get rid of something like Ugin. So they're going to use the best cards in their hand. And it's early in the game. It's turn three, so they have a ton of cards. It's not like they've wasted a bunch. So I agree, but I think it was a close decision, and I can see where he's coming from, which was he took kind of a really high upside line, which Mm -hmm. is like, well if they don't have anything then i'm in a great position to yeah. win this game now yeah so yeah. i can't fault him for that pretty well not to
2: mention like if it got back to him and he got rid of everything on the board and he just minus ugen at 4 to to 2 that would kill te- that would kill your commander Apotra, and, Temin, Temin, both and both the everything snakes. else yeah. yeah so he had and a, he would still have Ugin. and he would still have Ugin. yeah so there's a lot of upside for him to keep Ugin around unfortunately this is the game nights note if if there is an answer in josh's deck
1: and he could have it he has it. <laughs> well, I play a lot of answers too, yeah. so <laughs> um, I'm not the type Yeah, and, and that might be another thing too, where we don't know the playgroup or the meta that Cassius is coming from. There are definitely playgroups and metas that we've played in or people at repeats right. and things where they just don't have that kind of stuff. That's that not tech. the way their playgroup goes. Each deck is trying to do its thing, but it's not trying to stop other people. Right. Whereas, you know, yeah, I'm always I'm always packing answers, so that's the way our playgroup has kind of gone. Packing so, heat. Packing. J-L-K. Heat. All right. All right, so Okay. Well, that was an interesting one. Let's go on to our next example.
2: Right. So, this was Game Night's number nine. This is the Commander 2017 episode. Mel Lee, again, was back with Sean Main. And in this game, I top-decked, just so you all know, uh, on turn two, a Fleece main Mainline. And I was giddy, because I was like, sweet, this is perfect. So, Fleece Made Mine is green and a white free. 3-3 three cat, 2-mana, 3-3 three, three cat, and you can Monstrous It, which is an activated cost for 5-mana, which turns it into a 5-5 five, five hexproof indestructible. So, it adds 3-plus-1, plus-1 one, plus one counters to it. Now, I do have Arabo as a commander, and her uh, his Eminence ability can give a cat plus 3-plus-3 three, three, once each combat. So... I have a big cat on the board, and I have the ability to monstrous it. So the notable stuff that's happened
1: up until this point is... We should say really quick, Sean's playing the wizard's deck. Yes. I'm playing the dragon deck, and Mel's playing the vampire deck. All right. So Mel has put a bounty counter on
2: my cat with Mathis, Fiend Hunter, and what the bounty counter says is that at the end of her at her end step, she can choose a target creature with Mathis, puts a bounty counter on it, and if that creature dies, everyone gains two life and draws a card. So except the
1: person who owned the creature that had the bounty, right?
2: So it's like, hey, everyone, go after this thing, Uh, and as a result, you're all going to draw a card and gain some life. Josh had put a curse of opulence on Sean. And this is the card that we, unfortunately, didn't play correctly. But this just means that we're incentivized to attack Sean, essentially. Yeah, everybody gets treasure if they attack Sean. Right. And Mel and I are in a bit of a feud because I hit her first with a giant fleece main line because she'd been gaining life left and right with her vampire deck, so I thought it was only
1: appropriate. Yeah, and she had swung back at you. Mm -hmm uh with mathis and with edgar right. and put a one one counter on her vamps at that point it was pretty yeah. scary because mathis also has menace
2: and edgar has first strike so i just had no good blockers at that point now there are two points in this game where i could have activated monstrous and a lot of people were asking me why i didn't the first turn uh i instead
1: played Arbo, who's a five mana commander and that's was turn five now yeah remember the monstrous ability on fleece main cost five mana so a lot of people were like why didn't you monstrous you have to look at the window where you even could have Monstrous. It's right. actually not that large. It's only two turns. Okay. And on turn six, I main phased the White Sun Zenith
2: because uh, Sean had been tapped out. So I didn't want to wait to do it. And also, uh, Josh, I wanted to have flex for Josh because he'd been, Josh was slowly becoming very threatening as well. And I thought, you know what? If there's a way to kill Josh, it's going to be to hit him with eight damage on the ground over and over again or giant cats with trample. And I played at main phase because I didn't want Sean to counter me. I also didn't really know that deck list at the time. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it turns out it can't counter a lot, but we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, the following turn, and this makes me wish I didn't cast at main phase, Josh casts the Ur-Dragon, puts Lightning Greaves on it, attacks Sean, and with the ability from Ur-Dragon, drops Silimgar, the Drifting Death, which has a very important keyword or ability, which is anytime Silimgar attacks... Uh, each creature an opponent controls gets minus one minus minus one minus one for each attacking dragon. So all my cats are two twos. If Josh swings with both of those creatures, it's gonna give all my creatures two two and all my cats are gonna die. So unfortunately for me, turn seven, I was like, crap,
1: well, they're all gonna die anyway. I'm going to cast Divine Reckoning. Yeah, which oh sorry, Divine Reckoning is uh, yeah. a sort of a weird board wipe where each player chooses one of their creatures and then you the rest die. The yeah. rest die are destroyed. Um so technically, turn seven, you could have uh, monstrous, monstrous again instead yeah. of casting divine reckoning. But
2: divine reckoning was the worst board wipe because it let you keep your ur dragon, it let everyone keep their best thing. But for me, I had to get the simgar off
1: the deck, off the table. So that's what I had to do that day. So yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because let's look at the turns where you could have monstrous. Um, really, the best candidate feels like it's when you played Arbo. Yes, correct, because
2: specifically Arbo's ability is still very relevant from the command zone. So it's still going to be doing work. Me casting Arbo and taking a turn off to do that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good value for my mana because I'm still going to get Arbo's effect had I not cast him in the first place.
1: Thing is, at that point, I feel like you're paying five mana to put two extra power on the board mm-hmm. if you do that. Like, that's not really a very strong play. Um, it's much more scary from an opponent's perspective if you put your commander out. It's much bigger. Also has an an extra ability that only works when it's in play. Yeah, the main thing too
2: that I kept telling, I commented back on a lot of people's things, which is I'm a cat deck and I'm on the ground. I have literally nothing to defend against a 10-10 Flying Dragon, which threatens to just absolutely destroy me no matter what. Uh, I can't block it. He can block me. So in my mind, with the White sun Zenith in my hand, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and go as wide as possible and try and chip Josh down as I recognize him to be the top threat at the table at this moment.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point, because even a 5-5 indestructible hex-proof fleece line gets blocked by a 10-10 dragon. Yeah, and it also dies very much I to guess a divine an reckoning. It's too. an 8-8 because you bump right. it with Arabo, right, but right, still. Right. Um, yeah, that turn 5 I don't think would have been a realistic point for you to monsters. I just don't see that as a very strong play in almost any game, which is, hey, on turn 5 I'm going to spend 5 mana and mm-hmm. I'm going to put 2 power onto the board. Yeah. I mean, it's just not... I know it sounds impressive, like a 5-5 five, five Indestructible Hexproof Threat, but... It's
2: immune to board wipes. There's a lot of reasons that you could give to have it be there. But for me specifically, it definitely wasn't worth it, I don't think. Turn six, maybe. But at that same time, I knew that you'd be able to cast the air Dragon next turn. So, And I remember specifically at the table being like, guys,
1: let's kill Josh together, please. Well, and I think any other card but Silumgar or the Drifting Death... Almost, yeah. And your that play is correct, right? Like because there's not a whole bunch of dragons in the deck that board wipe you. No, so
2: especially a power and toughness board wipe specifically. Yeah, and so the one that would get really wreck me because so yeah, Silmgar definitely was a very good counter to my specific game plan. I didn't even know that was in the deck.
1: I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, it was lucky. It, it's not the type of thing, but I think not knowing that Silmgar... Is gonna come out, and how can you know? Yeah, it feels like the plan of go wide because I'm not going to sort of make one big Voltroni threat that's gonna beat the Dragon deck. Yeah, um, I also think the five-five indestructible hexproof is not that great against Mel because she's making one-one. Right, and she has menace on Mon Mathis. She, she's making she's tons making one-one tokens. She can chump block that thing forever. Um, Arabo yeah. doesn't give trample mm-hmm. when he gives the sort of eminence ability. He has to be in play for that to work. Yeah, so so again, casting him... And at the moment you cast Erebo, Mel's actually your enemy. Mm -hmm. I think it's the following turn that because of the Curse of Opulence, it's clear I'm going to be able to cast Ur-Dragon. Yeah. So again, I don't think that turn five is a good point that you can monstrous... Um, It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's not going to get through vampires. It's not going to get through dragons. You don't even have to worry about getting through. Shani's got... Like, he's not going to be... Like, putting a bunch of power in front of your stuff. Yeah. Sean, both you and Mel were very terrifying at that point, so... Yeah, I, so from my perspective, and honestly, or obviously, I'm assuming, like, you still wouldn't monsters. like, knowing... No. Uh, even knowing what happened, I think the play at that moment was
2: still correct. Also, like, a turn two Fleece mainline that got in for, you know, a significant amount of damage is... Good value for that card. I wasn't expecting to... Ever, the You're not trying to ride the Fleece Main Line no. to victory, right? You're yeah, trying to yeah, get yeah, in there definitely for... definitely not. You
1: got in there for like 12 or 18 points of damage yeah. total. Yeah,
2: and I thought about it too a lot. I was like, should I Monstrous, should I Monstrous? And just after careful consideration,
1: I uh, joined went into my Rhystic Study and decided it was not worth it. I think the only way I could see it is if you had some instants in your hand that were sort of... Um, that were situational, Mm -hmm. and you could hold those open, and then that could be the backup plan if you didn't end up using them. But that's not the type of deck that that is. It's not a a reactive deck. If it was, then, yeah, you're like, I'm holding up this trick, or "or I'm holding up these spells in case somebody attacks me or something happens, and then that doesn't happen. Okay, I'm monstrous, just to use my mana. But that's a deck that plays its stuff during its turn most of the time yeah and i will say the entire decision
2: would have been changed if i had something like a path to exile or a sword to my hands because then i know i could avoid i could i could fade an attack from the ur dragon and this way sure i'll monstrous it i think at that point but even then the threat of mel alone is pretty dangerous
1: yeah, again, another
2: reason you want to sort of go a little bit wide because of Mel's deck. Not so. to mention I have Divine Reckoning in my hand and it does not look good with a indestructible hexproof creature if you Well if that's something. your only creature. If it, well, I if it's fine. my only creature, great. But yeah. yeah, otherwise none of those keywords mean anything.
1: That's the one argument I could see for Monster Sing the Fleece Mane is that you're just gonna do that and then you're gonna cast Divine Reckoning as it's your only creature problem is er dragon still went like yeah still chilling around that's <laughs> so, why i'm saying So i think in that instance you're thinking like well happened. i don't really want to play divine reckoning i'm oh, just yeah. i'll play it later if i have to but it's not an immediate strategy because yeah because yeah, that's not your main game it was game a plan. very unhappy divine reckoning for me i'll say that <laughs> interesting interesting okay to the next example uh this was game nights number 11 the most recent one with uh Christine Sprankle playing Vona, Ashlyn Rose was playing um, Admiral Beckett Brass, Jimmy, you were Gishoth, and I was Tishana, voice of thunder. So we're on turn five, voice of elves, more like it. <laughs> elves still have thunder there. In fact, I mean, Murfolk don't even hear thunder; they're under the water. Yeah, How can you be the voice of thunder. Thunder, yeah, no, yeah, thunder, thunder. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> That should have been our uh know, right? be our song. Um, okay, so we're on turn five. Sprankle has Cabal Coffers, Urborg. She uses them to cast a turn five Vona. And then on turn six, she untaps with it and has a choice between a few targets. So... Vona specifically. Yeah, because... Vona
2: taps to pay seven life and destroys target permanent. It vindicates for seven life and a tap ability. And you can
1: only do do it during your turn, which I think kind of makes it quite a bit worse because... There's a possibility Sprinkle would want to sort of wait and see what happens. Well, you'd mm-hmm. always want to wait, right, and see yeah. what happens. But she has to use it on her turn or not use it. So she's kind of on turn six. She's untapping, and she's trying to decide what target to go after. And there's sort of three main targets in this game. So there's a Rampaging for Ostadon, uh, which... Take the damage. Which, if you remember, it was doing a ton of damage to me specifically, but the entire table in general. Um, because anytime a creature enters the battlefield, it does one damage. To that that creature's creatures controller. controller. Now, to Sprankle, that's not actually that big of a deal. She hasn't played a lot of creatures. But the Rampaging Ferocidon also has the text that says players can't gain life. And I hit her with it once in the game. So there's that. She's been attacked with it once, but I don't think that even really worried her. The fact that players can't gain life is really big because Vona is a life gain deck. Because she has to pay seven life to, as you said, vindicate things. Mm Uh, a lot of the deck is built around weaponizing life gain, getting a bunch of life so I can do Vona's ability at will, and also just synergizing with life gain with other cards because I'm already trying to gain life, so I may as well, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a big target for her possible. There's the Chasm Skulker that I had. Now, I would played Tashana the turn before, and Chasm Skulker had like 13 counters on it. And Chasm Skulker, when it dies, it creates a 1-1, uh, what is Squid. it, octopus? Squid with Island Walk for each counter on it. So if she destroys the Chasm Skulker with Vona, I think I've been at 18 at that point. It's going to create 13 1-1s, which Raging, Rampaging Ferocedon will then deal 13 damage to me. Putting you up Putting five, you at 5 life. Because that's important, because the last target for her
2: is Steel Hellkite, which is a 5-5 flyer, but Echelon also has two
1: of them. But Steel Hellkite, when it deals combat damage, it the, the controller can pay... X, and then you destroy all permanents by the player that got dealt the combat damage that have CMC equal to X. Um, So let's talk about some notable stuff that happened in this game. So those are the three targets, right? Hellkite, Rampaging for and My Chasm, Skulker. And again, Ashlyn has two Hellkites. So some notable stuff that happened in this game. Jimmy has missed a land drop. (laughs) Ashlyn... Has been picking on me, on Josh. She took a card from my hand with the freebooter. She's attacked me for two or three straight turns and even used the Hellkite on me once. So that's sort of, if you're Sprinkle, that's a thing that's going on sort of mm-hmm. to the right of you that you're not actually involved in. Um, and then I just had a huge turn where I drew 10 cards with Tashana. I have Cradle of Itlamok out and about 11 creatures. So I'm very Dang. scary at that moment. Yeah. Let's make it 24 creatures. Uh, Sprinkle's board is a Sarah Ascendant. She currently has 34 life, so it is a 6-6 flyer. However, the life link is kind of turned off because of the Rampaging Ferocidon. Correct. She has Urborg and Cabal Coffers, like we said, and she has Underworld Connections uh, to draw extra cards. And she's also about to play Revelin Riches and Drana's Emissary, which is what she ends up playing on this turn. Um, Revelin Riches because she's going to kill something with Vona and she wants to get the treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drana's Emissary, she's kind of forced to play use the rest of her mana right then because of the Cabal Coffers Urborg thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are, that's the setup. There's a lot of choices. What do you think Christine should destroy with Vona or at least what do you think the thought process is? In that moment, if it were you. The thought process, I think, was pretty simple, which is her deck's turned off by this
2: creature. It's been taunting her via the form of a hand puppet the entire <laughs> Take game. Take a damage. <laughs> and I haven't done anything politically to try and mitigate that ill will that she inevitably has towards me. Now, if I had seen that Chasm Skull I didn't see this play, by the way. When it was in the comments, mentioned in the comments, I was like, oh, interesting. H- had I seen that, I think I would have gone for the angle of, like, look, attack with Vona, I will block. With the on, but you have to promise, and it will get off the board. But if you promise to kill that Chasm skulker, I think it'll be better for everyone. I think oh, that was sitting. Been, yeah, 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 yeah. You I being think, you in this yeah, this. yeah, in this situation, that I think that would have been my. I best was terrified
1: thought. of her doing it. That's why I was not talking about it at all. Yeah, but. I
2: mean, and maybe that was that was the best part. Is that <laughs> that through the sort of the vampire bloodlust of looking at me and this dang Phrosidon, it was just simply too much um, ill will towards me and my side of the table. Uh, I think she did a. The second best play. I I do think that killing the... I think she should have struck a deal with with Ashland, potentially. Look, you can kill Josh with any of the steel kites if I do this to his chasm right now, and then we'll just take him out of the game entirely.
1: But the reveler... Yeah, that's true. Just just kill him. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, I don't think the Revel and Riches really plays into it, because once the life gain in her deck starts going, the Revel and Riches just sits there as a value engine, not necessarily a win-con. And I think that's that's how you should play Revel and Riches, is not necessarily as a win-con, unless you
1: have a board wipe in that, you know? I think you should play it... Well, I think it can also be a board wipe deterrent, which it wasn't clear to me until she played it, and we kind of went, wait a minute, now Ashlyn can't steal Hellkite, all Josh's stuff, because that makes Christine win. But I never had really thought about it that way until that
2: moment. Yeah. But here's the thing. Had she done that, you'd have been at five life and killing you doesn't mean your creatures die. So right. So that would have been the way around that. Now, I think, I think she should have done that to the Chasm Skulker now that I'm looking back on it. it makes well, you're sense.
1: making up a deal that didn't exist for her. Yeah, exactly. Though. She didn't know that was even a possible deal that could right. be made. Like, l- sitting in her seat with no deal being offered...
2: Yeah, I, I I think it's I think she made the right decision in that moment based on the knowledge of the board and maybe it was just that like look if I don't kill this Ferocidon now, who knows how it's gonna die you know is is I or you know do I need to make a deal with Ashlyn to attack Jimmy and then use her build use the steel Hellcat's ability to kill the Ferocidon and also kill you know there's a lot of things that could have went down but I think because no no deals were made, she just did what she intended to which is get rid of my Ferocidon.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think given the situation she was in with no deals sort of, and it wasn't a game where there was a lot of politics going on for whatever reason. I think we were kind of distracted by all the... The cosplay. Pageantry and the... Yeah, you're using your hand puppets and blah, blah, blah. And 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 it wasn't that type of game. And there are a lot of Commander games where they aren't political. Not every game is like, you know, so... Well, this is like smell blood and run towards it kind of game. Yeah, and and from her seat, Ashlyn and Josh are just going at it. Mm -hmm. Like, Ashlyn's just been hitting me consistently. You know... Yeah, Josh has a lot of stuff, but you know it's probably going at Ashlyn, not you. You haven't done anything. So in that instance, I'm a big proponent of letting those two settle it and sort of picking off whoever's limps limps out of the fight at the end. And so from that perspective, to me, looking at you, if I'm Vona, well, that's my – like I've been sort of set against the other half of the table here. And, you know, just so happens Jimmy has a thing that's also just – flick the switch off on my deck. Yeah. So I can see her play a lot. I do like your lines of like, it might have been a moment to, to talk to everybody and be like, listen. Yeah. Because if you can make a deal with Ashlyn where like, because you can just threaten to kill the Steel Hellkite, right? To kill her, Oh, one right. Like I can kill it. Like, yeah. Look, I'll get rid and of it the is scary to you. Yeah. Because there's two of them. You have a Drawn as Emissary that, you're, that you've played so you can block one. So you can just make it sound like, and I think people don't do this enough, right? People don't know... If you're going to make the optimum play, mm-hmm. so you can fake that you're going to make what would be considered the unoptimum play in order to gain some leverage. So right. I think Steel Hellkite's like the last target on the list that you would realistically go after. But it is a, a thing that somebody might do because if they're just irrationally scared of a Steel Hellkite, even though it's like clear, like that's a better target, yeah. you could at least fake it. Like, man, that Steel Hellkite, I really don't like it. Maybe I should get rid of it. And that might bring Ashland to the table to say something like, I'm not gonna attack you. Mm-hmm. Oh. You promise you're not going to attack me, and if she does, now you just got that for free. You weren't going to kill the Steel Hellcat anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and then your other deal of like, yeah, maybe I can. I don't think that would occur to me to ask, but it's an interesting thing to keep in mind in the future. Which is like, listen, I want to kill that Rampaging for, for Ostodon, but it's good for all of us if I kill the Chasm Skulker and bring Josh down to five.
2: Yeah, I promise I'll I'll get rid of it. You attack me, I'll block. It's off the table. Yeah. Done. So
1: will you block with Rampaging for Ostodon and give me a free kill on it so I can. Get rid of the Chasm Skulker before it goes, and then everybody's happy, right? Yeah, and you would 100 percent make that deal because otherwise she's just going to kill the Rampaging Frostedon. Yeah, and th- you're going to lose it anyway.
2: I think I was—I'm almost so used to you drawing so many cards and producing so much mana that to me I was just like, eh, whatever. That—that <laughs> that, maybe my like m- compulsive, not compulsive, my impulsive reaction to you going off isn't guys, 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 guys. Everyone's like, look, uh, look, look. It's just like. All right, it happens. My Froston's making everyone really angry. I'm trying to draw cards. Literally can't draw them right now. You know, like, stuff like that was going through my mind. So it was interesting. It was an
1: interesting situation, though. Yeah, I think from her seat at that moment, I would have killed the Froston, though. Um, Not, you know, given that all those deals were on the table and that there wasn't a lot of politicking, um, I think, you know, that, that just turns off my deck. Yeah. And I don't know what she's holding in her hand, and it's very possible that she's looking at a hand with five or six cards that say gain life in some form. Mm -hmm. And she's just thinking like, if I kill that thing, I basically draw these five cards because right now I can't use them and they're not doing anything. Right. You know, I doubt she had that many. I don't think the deck has like, and she, she didn't have debt to the death list. She drew that. that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause I could see that changing the game too, being like, Oh, well I know I'm going to, with my small coffers, be able to at least kill, you know, two people or whatever. That's
1: another interesting point in the game. And I thought about talking about that here and we can, cause we may as well. Um, Do you think if Christine actually holds the Debt to the Deathless there, she might have a chance to win that game? Because Ashlyn has to attack me. Right. So she's sort of giving Ashlyn an extra attack against her. Against her, yeah. By playing the Debt to the Deathless right there. If she holds it, then Ashlyn's going to go after me and finish me off. We already knew she had enough damage, but she'd have to swing everything at me to do it. Yeah, And, you know... It's possible I get to block some stuff and we and actually knock Ashland down a peg. So so Christine sort of walks out of that with getting an extra untap and having a few things on Ashland's board die. And the same result except for that debt to the deathless is way worse now because you're not going to gain twice the life because there's only one player. One player, yeah. So I don't know.
2: I don't know. I think she did the right thing, and it was also the most fun thing at the time, so props for that. Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, these are interesting questions to ask. Yeah. Um, I think I would have made the same plays in her seat, though. All right. Well, that's why you don't play with costumes, is you forget to think politically
2: in a game like that sometimes. You're just so wowed by everything that's happening (laughs) around you. All right, our uh, last example here is from Game Nights number two. We are going all the way back. This is the first appearance of Josh playing his Vile Smasher slash Thrasios deck. Uh, I'm playing Shuyun, the Silent Tempest. Kessler is playing a Tana and Timna deck. Timna the Weaver, Tana the Blood... Sower. Sower, yeah. And Craig is playing a Crush the Blood Braided deck. Uh, so the setup, we're going into your turn six, and Craig just played a Massacre Worm on his turn, which gives every creature minus two, minus two, killing most of the board. Specifically, it's a really good card for Crush to grow in the Law of Power. Uh, well,
1: cr- it's okay, because it kills creatures, but they get native to their power, right. so, so when they, they die... They die, yeah. yeah. They,
2: they actually, their power goes down a little less. Yeah. Um, now, Craig also has Crash Out. He has a Sylvan Library and Massacre Worm. So, three things, big things. Kessler has a Revel Arc on the board. Uh, I have Shuyun, a Soul Ring, Vidalcon Orrery, Mana Vault, Scroll Wreck, and Metallurgic Summoning. However, I'm very low on cards. I sort of splurged all my hand and then, then was sort of lying on the
1: top of my deck at that point. Josh just has Vile Smasher and a Thought Vessel. Because my board just got decimated by Massacre World. Yeah. Yep. There's been no notable feuds yet in this game. There hasn't been really any attacks. I think, Jimmy, you might have hit somebody for three with two. You know, once, yeah, but it was just I, kind I, of I an opportunistic, ones. like, I don't know, I can attack you. Yeah. There's definitely not any dynamic at the table that where anybody's sort of like, you know, they're rivals yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, the thing we don't see in this episode, and it is a little bit important, um, is that. Craig had accidentally revealed that he had Blade of Selves in hand. So he went to play the Massacre Worm, and you know how every once in a while you just pull the wrong card and put it down on the table. He'd sort of done that. Mm -hmm. And so we all knew he had Blade of Selves. And I think this colored my decision-making a little bit because I knew about that card. And so the obvious play pattern is to play Blade of Selves next, put it on the Massacre Worm, now swing. Mm -hmm. uh, Make two more Massacre Worms, which is pretty scary. So... That's something that we cut out of the episode just because it's just a hard thing to show in the game. And it it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. So so here we are. It's going into my turn six, and I have enough mana up, and I've actually been holding it up to cast Chaos Warp. And I've been holding it because you want to, in Vile Smasher, cast as many things on different people's turns to sort Mm -hmm. of get as many triggers as possible. Um, So the question here is, What's the correct target, or is it even correct to cast Chaos Warp right now? Here's the thing.
2: Who knows? (laughs) Because Chaos Warp is chaotic. You're going to flip a card off the top of the deck, and and we'll see what happens. But the thing is is that, one, you can't predict what's going to happen. You know that Craig's deck has a lot of bombs and a lot of powerful cards in there. Um, because it's Craig. He's gonna have all the Eldrazi and, right. and like all the biggest, all the Praetors and everything they can fit in there. <laughs> Kessler doesn't seem particularly dangerous, but knowing his play style, he is a guy that likes to put modern and, and and really sort of powerful combos in his deck.
1: And we know that deck. Um, he had had it. I forget who was at the helm before, but he. It's a deck he has had, and we knew it was a birthing pod deck. Right. Mm-hmm. We knew it's a it's a combo deck. So. You know, that, that's not something we didn't know. And Revel Arc is yeah. a big piece of a lot of those type of combos. You know, Karmic Guide, Revel Arc, one of those two is going to be involved, or yeah. both, in whatever is going to eventually kill you from that deck.
2: Yep, and I don't really have anything. I, t- I suppose Metallurgic Summonings, it has the highest power level in terms of what could potentially happen here. But for the most part, on the board, the biggest, scariest thing is that Massacre Worm, and the fact that we knew that Craig had a Blade of Selves means that it would just
1: become this crazy board wipe machine. Right which was really scary yeah, uh, in my mind. So what ends up happening is I do Chaos Warp the Massacre Worm. <laughs> the way Chaos Warp works is you, you shuffle that card into your uh, library, then you shuffle it up, and then you flip the top card, and if it's a permanent, you just put it into play. So I get rid of the Massacre Worm, but Craig flips Avengers, Avengers <laughs> into card. Which is even worse <laughs> with, with the, the blade of cells, yeah. because
2: then you're putting way more plant tokens on the battlefield. That was a, definitely one of the crazier flips I've ever seen.
1: But, I mean, you have to take out that, right? You yeah. can't. Assu- you have to assume that the Chaos Warp, because 99% of the time it's a land or it's just an instant or sorcery or it doesn't 99% matter. 99% of the time. Whatever, very rarely. I mean, it- that's the one time I think I've ever cast Chaos Warp ever and regretted it. Oh, uh, okay. That's as far as the outcome right. of it. And, you know, I've cast it i'm mean, probably not nine, nine times 50 times though yeah you know have you ever cast it where you've the thing they flipped is like worse than the thing you got rid of well i've cast it twice where the thing they flipped was the thing i got rid of that's crazy <laughs> they so, just get it back yeah well that that counts though
2: yeah that counts as well so i
1: mean i i've had a couple
2: of times where i regret it but i think you're right for the most part you are pretty safe that you're not going to flip something worse
1: yeah once in a while you get something it's like oracle and Moldiah. fine that's not as bad as what it was you yeah, know or yeah. whatever um it's a land. Uh, Not 50-50, but a high percentage, right? Yeah, at least 30%. Yeah. Probably. Um, So taking the outcome out of the equation, this is a point I think I definitely messed up because... And and this is a little different than the others in that I think I didn't correctly take into account the types of deck I was facing. Right. And how important Chaos Warp was going to be to... Stopping a combo from going off. Yeah, because it specifically is very good against what Kessler's likely to do. And I have a lot of answers in the deck, possibly to a Massacre Worm, mm-hmm. and very few to some sort of weird infinite combo with a Birthing Pod or an Astronaut's Altar. Right. Or, you know, because you can't destroy a creature in that loop because they're destroying it and bring them back. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help you much. Tucking is really good against some of this stuff, though, like the Pod. Right um so you know just I, I think I just I think the blade of selves hit the table and I was so focused on that I wasn't thinking like you know in two turns I'm not, probably gonna regret yeah, not having this it's tough because I mean maybe Kessler played
2: Arc out because he knew he was able to combo off with it or maybe he just played out to be mana efficient but knowing the kind of player Kessler is I think should have changed that decision more so
1: well, and he knew the Blade of Cells thing like I did, so he plays Revelark thinking, well, if he does the Blade of Cells Massacre thing, kills Revelark, brings two things back from mm. my graveyard, yeah. I'm not mad about that, right? That's totally fine with me. Right. So I'm almost, you know, he's 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 just sort of immune to it. Now, even cast warping the Revelark right there would be good. Right. Because it doesn't get the trigger, he doesn't get the things back. You know, again, I don't know that I it, it would have been right to do that because there's still big threats out there but I, you can do it in response too so yeah i could also see it i mean like do you remember what
2: your hand was at the time because if that massacre worm really affected everything in your hand that you couldn't even
1: play a creature out or whatever that'd be bad but it was like mostly Manadorx it was gonna kill vile smasher he'd already killed most of my board because i only had vile smasher left right yeah and uh, that's another really good point right like i'm really protecting one creature and I don't want to take the five damage to the face from mm-hmm. the thing. But at the same time, we I, we were all in our mid-30s. It wasn't like life total. Yeah. Like it wasn't like dire. Like I was going to die from the actual combat damage. Right. So, yeah, I think I was just blinded by... I didn't want to use lose Vial Smasher and the Blade of Cells thing was just... Uh, it was scary to me, but I don't think that having taken a step back and being out of the moment that it was actually the amount of alarm I had at what was going to happen was commensurate with the actual amount of damage or harm it was going to cause
2: yeah and and it's also i think because craig's deck has a higher chance of being since it's a crash deck there's a higher chance of just things being nasty in there and so the there's a much lower chance of hit if i hit a permanent it's probably a huge monster yeah it's going to be powerful yeah um, just because that's kind of how that deck runs i don't know it's really interesting because you know obviously you don't want to have to replay vile smasher over and over again but worse comes to worse you lose vile smasher take some damage But you still have, you know, I've seen you hold up one white and a black or two white and a black for, you know, your um, uh, utter ends all the time and then not use it. Like, examine the board, be like, nah, I'll keep it. I think having an instant speed answer is just so important that it's almost damaging to not give yourself that option if you don't have other ways in your hand of dealing with a deck like Kessler's. But maybe we didn't really fully know. I mean, I guess we did kind of know it was a Vile Smasher
1: deck. I mean we knew I mean not I say, I say a birthing a birthing part. Part. we yeah. knew hundred percent because we used to do the interviews before the game oh, that right. he even told us. But I we'd seen that deck because he used to have somebody else at the helm too. Uh, he'd switched it to partner commanders because they had come out and he yeah. could add a, like a color that way. But I mean, yeah, we knew. I, you know, I knew it was sort of an infinite comboy deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um anyway, so yeah, I think I totally made the wrong decision. I think just holding the Chaos Warp and not even casting it there was probably the right play. Yeah. And just waiting for the game to develop further. Um, and weathering the storm of a blade of selves on a massacre worm, which wouldn't have been that bad. You're taking five damage, you're destroying one creature. It's, yeah. not, it's not like it's not great, but it's
2: not bad either.
1: So yeah, maybe you did make the wrong decision for once in your lifetime. Josh.
2: Oh yeah, no, there's many others. That's just <laughs> the one we picked out. Um, okay. It's tough though. I could see why you would do it, especially given the extra information we were given. Because again, replaying Vile Smasher is the last thing you want to do
1: in that deck. You know, if well, it didn't work in his favor. But it would be so awesome if someone, like, did the accidental reveal in order to cause you to make a wrong decision. Oh, wow. That would be so next level. But the thing is, it would have to have been Kessler revealing the yeah. Blade of Selves in that case, because it really it was him that was ultimately, you know, the beneficiary of it. But right. at the same time, that's a next level play. Well, you're like, also
2: saying, please remove one of my things, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like... I, I mean, I, Craig wasn't doing that,
2: obviously. And he, he has to have understand. the read on you that you are going to cast a Chaos Warp. Yeah, true, true. There's a lot of factors going in. Craig, that was definitely next level, though. And big props to you, my friend, because,
1: I don't know, maybe they will get you invited back on game night sometime. <laughs> oh, don't start. We, we, we'll we get him back. We'll get him back. Yeah, don't worry. We just have a big lineup right now of um, yeah. of guests. So one thing I wanted to touch on before we go to two listeners and kind of wrap up this discussion, because it was really interesting as we were going through and breaking down these little scenarios and situations, was sort of going through and looking at the criteria that we used to sort of determine what we were going to do and why, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, all the things we listed as setup, you know, must be important to making a decision because we felt we had to lay it out for you in order for you to have a good chance to sort of make an informed decision. Like, you can't just say, I have Chaos Warp, what do I cast it on? You have to say, well... The board looks like this, and here's what happened, and here's who's attacked too, who, and here's blah what blah we blah, know, yeah, yeah, so that was one thing. the board, what's the board look like? um, whose commander everybody's playing, what their decks are likely to be, who the player is? you know, we yeah. mentioned like, oh, it's Kessler, we know he plays in a certain way, taking that into account, which I probably didn't uh, enough, maybe changes the decisions, and also the game d- dynamics up to that point, so in a lot of them we were like, well, Mel had been attacking you mm-hmm. or. You know, we know that Ashlyn and Josh were in a bit of a feud. And that is something that can really um, sort of weigh into the decision or the equation a lot. So I think those are kind of, based on this, the four criteria. I think there are other things. Life totals, cards in hand, Mm -hmm. um, can certainly be... Knowledge
2: of a deck is pretty important, too, if you played against the bunch... Because there have been a couple of points where I
1: pinpointed, like, oh, Josh has exactly this right now, and I know it. I can just like, smell yeah, it. Because, yeah, I've played against his deck 20 times. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's so, going to try and win next turn. I know that about you sometimes, too, where I'm like, oh, oh I sure. can tell. Jimmy's on the... The next turn's the I'm going to try and win turn. So that's the turn where I have to hold up I need, answers. I need or, to put more force of wills in my deck. <laughs> what it means. Uh, so now it's time for to the listeners. How do you view these situations that we talked about? Are... Do any of the plans look differently? Any of your plans, would they be differently uh, differently different than yeah. what we would do? Would you make sort of a different decision? Would you factor in other things we didn't talk about? Or are there any other game points in our game
2: nights that you think we should have addressed? Yeah, or you that you disagree with it? where you're like, why the
1: heck did you make that play? Or that doesn't seem like the correct play. Or I would have done this. That I'd be very interested to hear that. Yeah, well, maybe you're right. That's very, very possible. You're right. It's not yeah, like, it's true. yeah. <laughs> Commander's super complicated to the point where we've played with people who are very high level players and they'll, like, pros that will make mistakes because the board state is just so much more complex than what a one-on-one game can ever give you. Yeah, and the the what you need to keep in mind as
2: well is way bigger than, like, oh, we're playing standard. I know that they're not going to path to exile anything anytime soon,
1: you know? You also have to keep in mind things like, you know, is that player going to attack me Mm-hmm. Which you don't have to in one on one because if they can, they are going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So, uh, would love to do this more. If you, uh, that's a that's a good question. If you watch game nights and you see other situations that have popped up that you are, sort of, think are questionable or could go either way, let us know and maybe we'll do another episode like this in the future.
2: This is a fun one.
1: This is a fun one. Um, oh well, you know what else? You know is what else fun. is fun? <laughs>
2: I was trying to think. Ordering cards and having them arrive to you at a lightning fast pace. That's right. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. I'm not kidding when they say fast shipping. People have said they're like in Germany and they got their cards two days later, which is absurd. Crazy. It crossed Crazy. an ocean to get to that person.
1: I'd say numerous, the continent. numerous times per week we get a tweet from somebody being like, you guys said they were fast, but wow, they're yeah. even faster than I
2: thought. And not just that. They have really great customer service as well. So if there's something wrong with your order, they'll definitely help address it. A lot of people have also said, oh, I ordered, but that didn't use your uh, affiliate link. You can just email them and tell them as well. We very much appreciate the support. So make sure you use cardkingdom.com slash command zone the yeah. next time you make a
1: purchase. Helps us out a lot. Also, purchasing Ultra Pro products helps us out a ton clip sleeves, all of the theme stuff like the ixlon theme playmats mm-hmm. and deck boxes and sleeves, and soon the iconic master's deck boxes playmats, and sleeves ultra pro kind of keeps you current and up to date on whatever the, the newest set is and they actually announced
2: this very recently next year i believe or late into this christmas season they're going to be doing all of the original all of the new lands from john avon's uh un- un- sorry, un- unstable Unstabled lands on Playmats. oh those and things look sweet they're not gonna be, i'm pretty sure that when from what i read in the email they're not gonna be like a limited print run or anything they'll be available throughout 2018 and they all are beautiful lands I want, I want all those. That mountain is... Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah. So, Ultra Pro, again, they're always on top of making... You know, they're obviously the official playmat sponsor for Magic and all that. So, they're, they're always on top of bringing you the best art
1: that they can and put them all on sleeves. High quality. All right. Now, it's time for the M-Step where we talk about something cool outside the world of Magic. I have something cool. This is very cool. It is Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. So, I saw it last week. Lucky. It is... It's ridiculously good. Yeah. I've listened to the soundtrack about five times. The soundtrack is ridiculously good. I think, like, my cheeks hurt. Like, I am just smiling the whole time. I was like, this is so amazing. <laughs> yeah, everything about it, huh? Everything about it is amazing. Like The
2: sister's song is my favorite, I think. Yeah. When they're just like... She,
1: yeah, that that song's great. The I forget the lady's name that was playing that, the sister, but... This is the Los Angeles yeah, production. Yeah, this is the, the Los Broadway. Angeles not production. Not Chicago, Cassidy. not Broadway, York, but... Yeah. Um, Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's it's amazing. If you ever have the chance to check it out, I would highly, you highly recommend it. do have the chance to just get the soundtrack
2: and listen to that because the, fir- the f- first five times I listened to it, I could just listen to it as though it was a music album and didn't even really think about the fact that it was originally a stage play and that's where the soundtrack came from because the songs are just that good and the lyrics are just that amazing too. And you can follow along in each song. You learn a little bit as well as feel
1: inspired. It's amazing. I mean, when you're watching it, listening to it, the thought that kept occurring in my head it was like, "Man, there are some people in this world who are they're they're just geniuses." Yeah, they're just Manuel brilliant. Miranda. Yeah, brilliant. he's just brilliant. Like uh, it's the levels of like you can't believe it. Are like first of all, it's Alexander. It's about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, of all what? people, <laughs> like <what>? who would <laughs> think of doing just that? Yeah. Then to pull it off in this manner. Yeah. Like, oh, it's crazy. So good. So good.
2: Check out Hamilton. Um a big thanks to Vinny for providing the tickets to Josh.
1: Yeah, Vincent Trong, one of the game nights. Vinny one of the game nights hooked yeah. it up. Thank you, Vinny. In
2: in the court of nights with along with the rest of us. <laughs>
1: Uh, one of our other game nights, Alex Kessler, he teams up with his friend, Ben Bateman, and they do an awesome podcast about modern. we we'll have to have him on at some point, too. Yeah, we will. Called The uh, Masters of Modern. You can find that podcast right next to us at collected.company. You can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. They talk about the modern format, all things competitive magic. Our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. Big thanks to Terry. He
2: edits the video and audio versions of this podcast. So if you have a chance, head on over to youtube.com slash Zone Podcast. In order to watch all of our videos, and that includes the Game Night series. And again, we talked about just Game Nights episodes this time. So if you haven't seen any of them, you're please, crazy. Yeah, you're crazy. Please go watch them. Uh, you'll get a much better understanding of what happens in the game. Uh, and those episodes are beautifully crafted by Josh and now by Terry as well, who is in Los Angeles. So welcome to the city, Terry. Oh, and Some much needed help. Thank you, Terry. Much needed help. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who you can find on Twitter at Living Cards MTG. He did the awesome opening and closing animations as well as this awesome us Kanta. Kanta behind us and i've been covering up them i've been trying to do this to show the merfolk chilling right over here the whole time but my head's been in the way for most of the podcast so yeah make sure you guys check that out youtube.com slash command zone podcast <laughs> all right everybody thanks for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs> peace